Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing a Boomer Boulevard show that we are pulling from our archives. This was originally broadcast on the 23rd of May back in 2016. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester is taking the week off, so I am running the board as well as doing the show, and I probably will make some mistakes tonight, so bear with me. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the show where we play old-time radio shows and music that you remember from when you were a kid, because you're a baby boomer. We're all baby boomers, and if you're not a baby boomer, you're welcome along anyway for the ride, because I think you'll find it entertaining. Yeah, we remember these shows. We actually do. We remember hearing some of them on radio. A lot of them made the transition to TV, and that's where we remember them from. But still, these are voices from our childhood. So we're glad to have you along. All we ask is that you pull up a big, comfortable chair and get all cozy, maybe something to drink, put your feet up, and be back here in 30 seconds. You made it back. Good deal. Glad to have a young. Yeah, Chester had to take the night off tonight for some personal business, so I didn't ask him what that was about. But that's all right. We'll get along without him. We've got a pretty good lineup of shows. We have an episode of uh, Nightbeat, and then we're going to go on with an episode of Have Gun, Will Travel. We are going to visit the Jack Benny Show and end up in Dodge City with an episode of Gunsmoke. So that's the lineup for tonight, and let's get started right now. 
about you, but this week I was just in the mood for a little radio noir. You know, they always talk about film noir. Those were those black and white films that were kind of gritty. A lot of times they were considered B-films, but uh, there was also a number of uh, major motion pictures that were filmed in black and white on the streets of a big city. Many of the scenes late at night with the actors deep in shadows through much of the film. Well, we get that with radio, too. And a classic example is the program Night Beat, which featured Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone a columnist for a Chicago newspaper who roamed the streets of that city late at night looking for stories about crime, human interest. And what was interesting with Randy Stone is even though he saw a lot of misery, human misery, he had much compassion and he often got involved in the lives of those of whom he was to write. I think you'll enjoy this episode that we're going to listen to now. It's entitled Bug Killings, and it was originally broadcast in September of 1952 on NBC. NBC presents transcribed Frank Lovejoy in... This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. I guess any newspaper man will tell you that if you're a reporter, you have to be interested in people. You have to be interested in them to want to write about them, and you have to like people in order to want the facts about them set down straight so that they'll get a fair shake. Yes, you have to want to know about people, all right. Only sometimes a reporter finds out things he wishes he didn't know. And sometimes it's hard to go on liking people after you've found out. It was getting to be a habit, a nightmarish habit, standing beside homicide Lieutenant Tilson at the morgue and hearing the same report. Three times in the last three weeks we'd stood there, and now, number four. This one left choir practice, never got home. What's her name? Mary Sims. Any connection between her and the other three? Yeah, they had a lot in common. All blonde, all about 25, all pretty, and all knifed to death. Same old pattern. Four young women from four different parts of Chicago. Their families say none of them knew each other. Maybe the killer knew him, maybe he didn't. I don't think he did. I, I don't think it matters to him who he kills just so long as he kills. I know. I read your column on it last night. Thanks for not asking for my head like the rest of the press has. Well, I'd settle for your head if that'd solve anything. You don't have to be smart to catch up with a psychopath. You have to be lucky. Well, maybe we're getting lucky. Mary Sims had a steady boyfriend. He's supposed to be out of town right now. But anyway, we can at least connect her to some guy. The other three didn't seem to go anywhere but the YWCA. Uh, You got everything you need from here? Yeah, I guess so. Well, let's go out to the office. I want to check in with the station. 
Uh, what's this guy's name, her boyfriend? Uh, Blake. Al Blake. We're checking on him. His landlady said he left on a business trip yesterday afternoon. Mary Sims was killed last night, around midnight, we figure. The body wasn't found until this afternoon. When did Bug call? <laughs> That's just it. Before the other three murders, he's always called, said he was about to kill. He didn't call this time. Wonder why he slipped up this time. Because he's a screwball. It takes a screwball to do a serious killing like this. It takes one to call the police beforehand. This is Bug, he always says. This is Bug, I'm going to kill her tonight. And then he hangs up. He may be sick, like you said in your column, but... In my book, he's off his base. I'll get that. City Morgue, Lieutenant Tilson. Oh, yeah, he's here. Hold on. It's for you, Randy. Oh, thank you. Hello. Sorry, Randy. You gonna languish down there at the morgue much longer? Uh, you got a better idea? Yeah, when's your way back to the office? I got some action going. What kind of action? It'll keep till you get here. Make it quick, huh? I'll fly. Got to check into the office, Lieutenant. If you get a line on Bug or the Blake guy, let me know, will you? Sure, Andy. Otherwise, I'll catch up with you later. Tilson was on a spot. So was the rest of the police department. So, as a matter of fact, was all of Chicago. We've had our share of psychopaths, but this killer's pattern and method seemed somehow to show a little extra menace. Not the least of which was calling the police before committing each crime. This is Bug. I'm going to kill her tonight. Only this time, in the case of Mary Sims, he didn't call. Maybe the pattern was breaking down. Farley listened as patiently as he ever does while I told him the latest on killing number four. They better get a lead on this Bug, or whoever he is, or the whole city of Chicago will march in the police department. Maybe they got a lead when they find this Al Blake guy. If Tilson can't cut it, get him out of there. But you sit back all serene and philosophical, saying the police are doing the best they can. After all, they're dealing with a sick man. Yeah. You said you had some action going, Farley. Yeah, I do. You know Professor Murray Blenheim? The psychologist? Well, I've heard of him. I've never met him. He's due here now. As long as the star's attitude in this is going to be so all-fired psychological, I decided to hire a guy who knows the field to do a series of articles. Uh, What do you want me to do, turn in my badge? I want you to help him. You know the facts, he can handle the dream stuff. Ought to sell a lot of papers. Yes, and that's what we're here for, isn't it? We don't sell papers, we're not here. It's that simple. Well, as a matter of fact, I think hiring Blenheim is a pretty bright idea. I don't know how you thought of it. Oh, you don't, don't you? Well, let me tell you something. I didn't think of it. What do you think of that? Well, I think that's wonderful. Who thought of it? Blenheim himself called late this afternoon, said he thought there was a great need for the clinical scientific approach to the problem. Said people ought to know what they're up against, the kind of mind they're dealing with. Said we shouldn't attack problems of this sort emotionally. Said this killer was a sick man and... Yeah, mm-hmm. That's what I've been saying. Yeah, but when you say it, it sounds like bad reporting. When Blenheim says it, it's true. See the difference? Oh, sure. Come in. Mr. Farley? Yes? I'm Professor Blenheim. Oh, glad to meet you, Professor. This is uh, Randy Stone. How do you do, Stone? Professor Blenheim? Well, sit down, Professor. Randy and I were just talking about you. Blenheim was a small man, and yet you could feel a stature about him. His manner was quiet and reflective, but his mind was keen with an intellect that cut through emotion to the core of fact and truth. I told him about Mary Sims and about Bug. 
And this bug chap didn't call the police this time? Well, it's the first break in his pattern. The police haven't heard from him since before he committed the third murder. The fellow's insane. Why do you expect him to act in a pattern when you know right off he's insane? Probably because he has acted in a pattern up until now, Mr. Filey. All insanity, you know, is not that of a raving maniac. How simple it would be if it were. No, Bug has behaved in a specific methodical pattern until the Mary Sims murder. I believe it is highly significant that this pattern has been broken. Well, this Al Blake, Mary Sims' boyfriend, is the nearest thing to a direct lead the police have had. Well, maybe this boyfriend Blake and this Bug character are the same guy. That'd make it simple. I don't think we can plan on a simple solution, Mr. Farley. Blake is so far merely the sole suspect. He may be quite innocent. We must be as anxious to protect him if he is innocent as we are anxious to convict him if he's guilty. Well, no one wants to convict an innocent man, but everyone seems to agree that this killer is insane. Generally speaking, yes. But insanity is not black against white, Mr. Farley. Normalcy is an area, not a point. The line between sanity and insanity is often imperceptibly faint. So faint, unfortunately, that crimes of this nature cannot so far be prevented before they occur. Oh, by the way, Stone, I've read your column. I think it's well done. Sensitively done. Well, thank you. I've uh, heard comment both ways. I uh, hope you'll, free, you'll feel free to call on me any time of the day or night, Stone. Uh, I want to help any way that I can. And Now I, I must go, gentlemen. You know where to reach me if you want me. I'm in the book. I uh, can expect the first article tomorrow, Professor Blenheim? Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Farley. Tomorrow. Farley left shortly after Blenheim did. I checked through some mail that had come in during the day and was about to call Tilson when he called me. We got a line on Blake, Randy. I've sent some of the boys out to his apartment. His landlady says he came home in a hurry a while ago, left again shortly afterward. He's running from something. Has it been gone long this time? Uh, maybe half an hour. We got everybody looking for him. Broadcast his full description, his cars. We'll find him. All right, I'll be, I'll be down, Tilson, right away, and thank you for calling. Sure, uh, I hope this is it. And so do I. Hello. Is this Randy Stone? Yeah, yeah, why? This is Bug. Bug? You know who I am. You've been writing about me. All of them have. Now listen, I haven't got much time. You've got to listen. Okay, I'm listening. Only why call me? Because if I call the police again, I'll have to talk a while. It'll give them a chance to trace the call. You tell them for me. Tell Tilson. What'll I tell him? Tell him I didn't kill the Sims girl. Get that? I didn't kill her. Have you killed any of them, Bug? Sure, the first three. They were mine. I told the police I'd kill them. I did. But this Mary Sims, I didn't kill her. Somebody's trying to make it look like I did. You've got to tell Tilson. I didn't kill Mary Sims. The others, I had to kill. But not her. Well, she was killed the same way, Bug. She was knifed. I've seen them all. Don't, don't argue with me. Just tell Tilson what I said. And listen, I've seen what you wrote in the paper about me. That I'm sick. Look, you don't understand. He makes me do it. It's his fault. I have to do it because he won't. Don't you see that? Well, who is he? Who makes you do it? You just tell Tilson what I said. Make sure you do that. And look, I... Maybe I'll talk to you again. You'll be at the Copper Bar in an hour. Got that? The Copper Bar on Clark Street. The Copper Bar on Clark Street in an hour. Okay, Bug, I'll be there. Yeah, and listen. I'll find you wherever you are. When I got something to say. 
At that point, I didn't know whether Bug would show up at our rendezvous or not. I only knew that I'd talked to a man who sounded rational, a man who was indignant because someone was charging him with four murders and he'd only committed three. I found Tilson at headquarters, reported Bug's conversation with me. What do you think, Randy? Well, I think I'll be at the Copper Barn half an hour from now. <laughs> sure. We'll all be there. He won't show up if he thinks it's a trap. It won't look like a trap. You go inside, we'll stake out around the place. Uh, what, I, what I meant was, do you think the guy was telling the truth? All I know is what he said. If it was Bug, and he said it was, he admitted he killed the first three. Now, why would he admit that and deny killing the fourth? I don't know. Maybe he is telling the truth. Then again, maybe the guy you talked to wasn't Bug. And then, after that, maybe Bug and Al Blake are one and the same gent. I, I, I don't know. How about Blake? Found him yet? No, not yet. It's a funny thing, though. That copper bar place you're going to isn't far from where Blake lives. <laughs> That's what I love about this whole thing. It's full of maybes and who knows. This could be the beginning or the end or nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'll be glad to know my boss Farley's got the whole thing licked. He's hired Professor Murray Blenheim to do a series of psychological studies on the crimes for the start. Swell. Tell Blenheim to stick around. Either way this thing goes, I'll be in the market for a psychologist. At H hour, I moved into the copper bar on Clark Street. Tilson and some well-placed cohorts had it covered fore and aft, and even I couldn't tell where they were when I walked in off the street and sat down at the bar. There was no one else at the bar. What people were there were at tables or in the booths or draped around the jukebox. Well, do you have, mister? Ah, bourbon, I guess. Water on the side. Okay. Hey, your clock there, right? Well, just about. Yeah, it's pretty close to midnight, give or take five minutes. There you go. Thank you. You're just having the one drink? Yeah, for now. Oh, look, I might get a message here. Someone might ask for me. My name is Randy Stone. Yeah. Oh, you already got one call. When? A few minutes ago. It was a guy. What'd he say? He just asked if you were here. I yelled your name around the joint, and I told him no one here but that name. How about a message? Did you leave one? No, no, no. I didn't leave no message. Well, maybe that was it. Maybe I missed him. Where's your phone? In that booth over there. Hey, maybe that's your call now. Yeah, maybe it is. Hello? 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 Hang up on me. Hey, what's going on out there? Tilson. It's okay, Randy. We got it. left the copper bar and its bartender in a state of shock and followed Tilson to the emergency hospital. Tilson and his men had spotted Al Blake's car in Clark Street near the bar. When he returned to the car and they approached him, he took off down the street. Tilson gave chase and winged him. I waited for Tilson to come out of Blake's room at the hospital. How is he? He's not hurt. I, I caught him in the shoulder. He's scared stiff, though. Won't say a word. I don't suppose your friend Bug kept his appointment, huh? Well, the bartender said someone called me there just before I got to the bar. Phone started ringing again about the time you drew a bead on Blake, and when I answered, whoever it was had hung up. Proves nothing. 
You don't actually know it was Bug on the other end of the line before he hung up? No, and I don't know that it wasn't. Maybe Blake's your man. That's what you think, isn't it? That's what I hope, that's all. At this moment, about Blake, all I know is that he's running from something, and he's got a hole in his shoulder because of it. Emergency hospital. Just a moment. Lieutenant Tilson. Uh, Yeah, coming. Uh, Stick around, Randy. Lieutenant Tilson. Oh, oh, yeah, Bonnie. You did, huh? Sure. Better take him to the lab first. Uh, Is that all you found? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'll be here. Keep in touch. Thanks, Bonnie. That was one of the guys I sent out to Blake's apartment. They just found some of his clothes in the incinerator. The spots on them look like blood. Well, you said this could be the beginning or the end. Could be both. Yeah. I have an idea that sending them to the lab first is a waste of time. Blake's wound so tight shut in there, I'll bet all I'd have to do is show the clothes to him and he'd crack wide open. Where are you going? I'm going to call Blenheim. If this thing is going to break, I'd like to have him in on it, okay? Sure. Okay with me. Randy Stone, Professor Blenheim. Oh, yes, Stone. I took you at your word to call any time of the day or night. I meant for you to. What can I do for you? Well, it uh, looks like a break in the case. The police have Mary Sims' boyfriend. He hasn't talked yet, but looks like something's going to give pretty soon now. I thought maybe you'd want to be here when it happens. Indeed I would, Stone. Where are you? I'll dress and catch a taxi as soon as I can. Well, I'm at the emergency hospital not far from you. Never mind the cab. There's time. I'll come by and pick you up. Splendid. I'll be expecting you. I was halfway glad of a chance for a ride. It was cooler along the outer drive on the way to Blenheim's apartment, and it didn't hurt to breathe something besides the atmosphere of the city morgue and the emergency hospital. It was still the dead of night, now tattletale gray of dawn in the east. Most of Chicago was asleep. I wondered what they'd wake up to. Professor Blenheim's apartment building was one of those good addresses on the near north side. He was in the last stages of dressing when he admitted me. His apartment was as quiet and scholarly as he was. Sit down, Stone. I won't be a moment. Oh, thank you. Uh, Don't rush. We're not in that big a hurry. I'll get my coat in the other room. Mind if I look around? Not at all. There's brandy in the decanter. Oh, thank you, but uh, no thanks. You do your work here? Mm -hmm. Some of it. My work's never done, I'm afraid. There are books to write, studies to make, committees to serve on, lectures to give. And in your free time, you volunteer to write a series of articles for the Star. Well, there's so much work to do in my field, Stone. Psychology is not exactly a new work, but it's relatively so in the matter of public acceptance, for example. Part of my hope for this series is that out of it may come some intelligent reaction that will one day reflect in our laws. You're really sincere about this, aren't you? Really dedicated Is that so surprising? Oh, a little. Not many men would find the time or manufacture the time, whatever it is you do, to devote to the work that you believe in. Perhaps that's why I have the time. I have nothing else to devote my time to. But there are other things in a man's life. In my case, Stone, there were other things. If you're interested, there is a reason. A single human reason that drives me. Yes, I'm interested. Her picture's there on the desk. Her name was Catherine. She was my wife. Oh, she's... Well, she was very pretty. Yes. She's been dead five years. 
I'm sorry. She was murdered. The man who killed her must have had the same warped mentality we're up against in this killer. A must have had? Don't you know? So far as I know, Catherine's killer is still at large. The crime was... was never solved. Professor Blenheim, you all right? Yes. Yes, I... I just felt dizzy all of a sudden. Here, let me help you to the couch. Oh, it's... it's foolishness. I... I'm just tired, that's all. How about you having some of the brandy? No, no thanks, don't it? It'll pass. It happens sometimes when I talk about Catherine. Remember. Now you just take it easy. Can I get you a doctor or anything? Oh, no. No, it, it isn't that important, really. It's... Besides, we've got to be going. There's work ahead. No, no, no. You stay here, get some rest. I'll let you know what happens with Blake. I really want to go, Stone. I can't give in to this thing, and perhaps I can be of some value there. Forget it. I'll call you in the morning. I've seen men kill themselves with work before, driven by all kinds of motives. It didn't seem fair somehow that a man who was obviously trying so hard to forget a great grief would, by the very nature of his work, be plunged into the middle of remembering. I wanted to tell Tilson about Blenheim, but when I got back to the emergency hospital, it all seemed a little beside the point. I thought you were going to miss the whole thing. Blake confessed. He killed Mary Sims? Yeah, we showed him the clothes we found in the incinerator. That cracked it. He said she was throwing him over. She'd fallen for the choir leader or something like that. Said he tried to make it look like the other murders. Well, that was Bugs' point. I don't know. Blake could have done them all. He says no, but you can't tell. We're going to check in the morning with the parents of the other girls to see if Blake knew any of them. Now, if anybody cares, I'm heading for the sack for a while. Emergency hospital? Who? Wait a minute, I'll, I'll see. You Randy Stone? Yeah. Oh, there's a call for you. Okay, hey, wait, will you, Tilson? Yeah, but make it quick. I'm out on my feet. Hello. Hello? This is Bug. Yeah? I told you I'd find you when I had something to say to you. Yes, that's right, you did. What happened to you earlier? I was around, but I saw the stake out. I wasn't ready to walk into the trap yet. Now listen, you've got to help me this time. Really help me. I waved Tilson to the phone, wrote the word bug on a slip of paper, and pushed it at him. He and the operator got busy on another line, checking the call, getting a tracer on it. I kept talking to Bug and listening. You listening to me? Sure I am. You better. It's important. You know Lincoln Park? Yeah, what about it? The zoological gardens there. There's a big monument not far from it. Can you find it? Yes, I can find it. Why? Get there as soon as you can. I'll be there. I'll meet you, see? This time I'll really meet you. I've got to talk to somebody quick, you understand? I understand. You want to meet me, I'll be there. Make it quick. It's got to be quick. Or maybe too late. I've just seen her. If you don't meet me, I'll... I'll have to kill her, too. Bug, don't do anything. Just go to the monument in Lincoln Park. I'll be there right away. Bug. We'd better get out there, Tilson. He says if I don't, he's seen a girl, he'll kill her. Don't worry, we'll have a convention out there. He ran out on one trap you set. We'll take our chances. How about it, bud? If 
find out where the call came from? Yeah, yeah, it's all here in the paper. It's a phone booth outside a filling station just off Lake Shore, not far from Lincoln Park. It's right on our way, Randy. Let's go. Tilson put out the call, and even as we sped toward the filling station Bug called from, we knew that half the police cars on the north side were closing in on Lincoln Park. They know their business. Tilson told them how to play it. We stopped around the corner from the filling station. Easy on the door when you get out. You think he's standing around here waiting to get caught? I think you're a whale of a lot better off if we can meet him here instead of the park. Come on. Just to the corner of this building now. We, uh, we can see the station from here. Yeah, yeah, I get a perfect view of a street that's empty and a station that's closed. Yes, you're right. Anyone for Lincoln Park? You never made a mistake, huh? Come on. The night was still dark when Tilson let me out at the park entrance. The black ceiling of a storm coming was fastening itself across the sky from the east. I walked up a pathway toward the zoological gardens and the monument bug designated. My insides were knotting up tight, even though I knew there was protection somewhere behind every tree and bush in the area. I stopped at the monument and waited. You took a long time. Where are you, Bug? Stay there. Stay right there. I'll talk from here. What about the girl, Bug, the one you saw tonight? I'm tired. You don't know how tired I am. Job's too big. I thought I could handle it, but it's too big. You're right, Bug. You're tired. You need a rest. A long rest. She won't stay dead. That's the trouble. If she'd just stay dead once, but she won't. I'm tired. Tired. I can't kill her anymore. Have you killed her many times, Bug? Four times. That ought to be enough. But she keeps coming back. I see her. Lately, I see her all the time. Who is she? <laughs> Five years ago, the first time, he wanted her dead. But he wouldn't kill her. He made me do it. Then he let me alone until a little while ago. She came back. Three times she came back. And I killed her. And then tonight, I saw her again. <laughs> Who did you see? Catherine. It's always been Catherine. You got him, Randy? Yeah. Yeah. Let's have some light on him. Never seen him before. I have. It's Professor Blenheim. The 
Schism was complete now, utter and complete. There were two people, really. Professor Blenheim and Bug, two distinct people, occupied one body. Good and evil, moral and immoral. Two worlds pulling against each other, each fighting for supremacy. Two worlds inside one man. That's schizophrenia. As Professor Blenheim, he couldn't accept the guilt of murdering his wife, so he had dizzy spells when he thought of Catherine. And when he gave way to them, fell finally into exhaustive sleep, Bug emerged to do all the evil Professor Blenheim could not do. Like I said, you have to want to know about people to write about them, and you have to want them to get a fair shake. Yes, and sometimes you find out things about people you wish you didn't know. But once you know, you've got to set the facts down straight. Copy, boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by Kathleen Height, with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of Professor Blenheim was played by Bill Lally. Featured were Frank Gerstle and Larry Dobkin and Ed Max. Frank Lovejoy appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. Once again, you have heard Randy Stone searching through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. came to you from Hollywood. They're returning soon. Hear Fibber McGee and Molly on NBC. From September 25th, 1952, the name of that episode was Bug Killings on Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy. Frank Lovejoy did not live very long. He died in his 50s, I believe it was. I think he had a heart attack, if I'm not mistaken. But I was reading up on him a short time ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, something ticked in my mind to made me make me uh, look up some information on Frank Lovejoy, and I wish I could find the uh, site where I got this little story because I would like to give it the the right attribution, but I don't remember where it was. But he made a film uh, with Joan Crawford. It was one of his first really starring roles. And the way the story goes, uh, they were going to the premiere of the film. I wish I could even think of the name of the film. You could look that up in IMDb. But Frank's wife was Joan Banks, who, who was, among other things, a radio actress. So here he was in the limousine with Joan Crawford and with his wife, Joan Banks. And when they pulled up outside the Warner Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, where the, their film was having its premiere... I think Gordon McRae was on the dais and he was interviewing the actors as they came in. Uh, as the car pulled up, Frank Lovejoy opened the door and stepped out. And then he reached back in and he said, Joan. And he held out his hand and his wife, Joan Bangs, took his hand and he said, no, not you. And And so then Joan Crawford took his hand and they stepped out for the cameras and all the lights. And, but later... Uh, that evening, Joan Banks was talking to somebody, and she said, wait till I get that SOB home tonight. Because apparently she had to get out of the car by herself. 
I don't know if that's a true story. I I assume it is, but it's it's kind of a funny story. <laughs> I don't care who you are. That's funny, right? There. You can't laugh at that. You need to get out of here. That's funny. Coming up now, we have an episode of Have Gun, Will Travel, the radio version of that television show. In the radio version, of course, we had John Daner as Paladin. This episode was originally broadcast on CBS on the 19th of June, back in 1960. And the name of this one is 2-2 Solid Town. Why not reopen the case? It won't give you back the five years you lost, but it might give you back the most important thing in your life. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875, the Carlton Hotel, headquarters of the man called Paladin. Well. Yes, come in. Uh, Mr. Paladin, I... Oh, Mr. Paladin, you look so beautiful, all dressed up in soldier suit. Well, well. thank you, Miss Wong. I don't wish to seem immodest, but not too many years ago, I was considered quite a dashing young officer. Oh, yes, sir. Where you go all dressed up like that? Oh, I was just trying on my old uniform, Miss Wong. Oh. My old cavalry company has been invited to take part in a dedication ceremony in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm planning to go. Dedication ceremony? Mm-hmm. Oh. How you mean, Mr. Paladin? Oh, well, there'll be a parade, a military band, speeches, a lot of wild oh. stories swapped among the boys who haven't seen each other in a long time, and then they plan to unveil a statue of Ulysses Grant in the public square. Mr. President of United States Grant? Yes. Uh, he was a splendid commander. I'm proud to have served under him. Mr. Paladin, I bet you prettiest soldier in Hula. Oh, now, Miss oh, Wong. My. Drop my keys. Oh, here, I'll pick it up, Miss Wong. Ooh. Ooh. What's the matter, Mr. Paladin? It just occurred to me that maybe I'd better have Hey Boy take these trousers to the tailor and see if he can let out the waistband an inch or so. Oh, trousers shrink, Mr. Paladin? Uh, well, yes, uh, perhaps that's it. I arrived in Lawrence, Kansas, the day before the ceremonies. The town was crowded, and the streets were festive with red, white, and blue bunting. I checked into a hotel, registered with a parade committee, 
then wandered around a bit. In the Buckhorn Saloon, I ran into Todd Clum. Todd had joined my outfit as a volunteer, already a veteran of the Mexican War. The last time I had seen him, he'd been scouting for Custer. He was a fine soldier, good friend, and a very wise old man. Heads, doggone uh, luck. Well, some days are better than others, Todd. Hey, barkeep, the bottle here, I'm buying again. Yes, you've been mighty hospitable today, Todd. <laughs> now, Paladin, just you, don't you mention it. It's been a pleasure. Yes, sir, a real pleasure. But I'll get you yet. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the town is certainly filling up. Yes, sir. Ree Bob's going to be quite a dude this year, Shindig. Hey, Paladin. Huh? At the end of the bar, that fellow, he's about to stare a hole plumb through you. Somebody you know? Where? Which one, Tom? Well, that one there, heading for the door. Hey, that's... Oh, good Lord, that's Billy Bedlow. Excuse me a minute, Todd. Why, sure. Billy! Bedlow! Billy Bedlow, wait, wait. Billy, well, am I glad to see you. Hello, Paladin. Billy, it's been a long time. Yes, it has. Well, I was just on my way, Paladin. Oh, wait, I want to buy you a drink. Have you met an old friend of mine? No, no, thanks. Some other time, Paladin. What's the matter? You got to go polish up all that brass for the parade? No. Don't tell me you career soldiers have gotten careless about the spit and polish. Let me see now. What is it? At least Lieutenant Colonel Bedlow, I suppose. No, it's Mr. Bedlow. Mr.? You mean that you have given up the army? Look, Paladin, I have to go. You are the only dedicated soldier I've ever known. I can imagine you as anything but an army man. What have you been doing, Billy? Five years. Huh? In Leavenworth Military Prison. Now may I go? Oh, Billy, I... I'm sorry. I... Well, I don't suppose you want to tell me about it. So long, Paladin. Yeah. Your friend seemed to be in a mite of a hurry to get. Uh, oh, Paladin. Uh, yeah? You, you want to take a little walk with me? I got to get on down to the liver and get saddled up. I, I got an errand to do. Yeah, short time. Your friend, an army man? He'll always be an army man. You'll be back for the parade, won't you, Todd? Oh, sure, Paladin, I'll be back. I just gotta ride over and see a fella. Now, first I, first I hold still, doggone it. Let me get this here blanket over here. Now, it seems to me that horse is about due for trading, Todd. Now, see here, I'm fond of Bertha. She's been a dang good horse for a dang long time. Too dang long. <laughs> oh, now look what you did. That's no kind of a remark to make right out where a female can hear it. <laughs> for a fella supposed to have a way with the ladies, you don't act very smart. Now, there, Bertha, there, dearie, calm down. Yeah. Say, uh, Paladin, that fella you ran into in the bar. Yeah? He uh, looking for someone? What do you mean? Oh, I recollect seeing him around town here this past week. And, well, I don't know. It's, it's, it's something you, you kind of feel when a, when a man's on the hunt for another man. What are you talking about, Todd? Uh, I say your friend's out to get somebody. Looking for to kill him. All right, dearie, all right. Now the saddle... Oh, wait a minute, Todd. Let me do it for you. Ah, my back. Thanks. Uh, easy going. Oh, no. Ooh. There. 
Hey, you, you better let me cinch her up. She won't stand still for nobody else. All right. <laughs> Looks like she doesn't intend to stand still for you either. Yeah, no, 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 no. She'll be all right. Todd, how do you figure a man? Well, you don't. If you're caught into a man, you ride with him, drink with him, palaver with him, be right proud your trails cross. If you and a man don't seem to hit it off, you leave him alone. Whoa there, Bertha. Whoa, now, now. Oh, she hates to have that cinch too tight now. Ah, you leave a man alone unless he comes around pesticating. Then you deal with him anyway that seems fit to the occasion. But you don't try to figure a man. Take him or leave him. You got no right to do anything else. Now, Bertha! That horse is a real mean look, Todd. You better watch her. Oh, this here's a good animal. Even the best critter can go bad. Well, uh, uh, there we are. Uh, this fella, he's a, he's a good friend of yours? Well, Bedlow and I received our appointments to West Point at the same time. We went through the academy together. We shared a room, our money, our clothes, even our girls. Oh, like that, huh? He even saved my life at Shiloh at great risk to his own. Hmm. Yes, yes. He is a good friend of mine. Well, in Paladin, why don't you just go have a little powwow with him? did you find me? Well, wasn't easy. Uh, may I come in? Of course. Sit down. I, uh, I'm afraid I was rude this afternoon. No, that's all right. Billy, are you gunning for somebody? You never were one to waste time in getting to a point. Are you? Well, now, who gave you that idea? A wise old man. Oh. Well, I'm going to kill three men before this weekend is over. That's not very smart. Why? They'll be here for the dedication. The judge advocate and the two witnesses at my court's martial. When I see them, I'll kill them. What will that gain you? Revenge. Ooh. What's the matter with you, Billy? You're not talking like the soldier I knew. I'm not the soldier you knew. Well, what's the matter? At your court's martial, never mind the charge, you, you feel you didn't get a fair trial? I know I didn't get a fair trial. Well, then let's investigate it. Reopen the case. It won't get you back your five years, Billy, but it may get back the most important thing in your life, the army. Oh, now, Paladin, no, don't you see? I'll never get back the army. Nothing can ever change what's happened. The army was my home, my life. Those men with their lies desecrated my home and they disgraced my life. But they, my brother officers, after all, were only the army in action. So what it amounts to is that the army itself turned on me. Now nothing will ever change that and nothing can ever make it right again. Billy, why don't you come out to California with me? I think you need a change. You think I'm loony, don't you? You talk a little loony. Well, that's just because you don't understand. It's not the five years I spent in prison, bad as they were. 
It's all the years I gave to a, a, a delusion. Oh, stop talking nonsense, Billy. What you need is to find out that there's a great big world out there that doesn't give a hoot about your particular personal problems. Follow me around for a while. The three men, they're only symbols, of course. But through them, I'm gonna have my revenge. Billy, I owe you a lot. Maybe I can repay you. This way. <laughs> I hate to ask you to do this, Todd. I stayed there with him as long as I could, but there's no way I can get out of this parade now. Oh, I'm glad to oblige. You got him tied up. Huh? Yeah, yeah, he is trussed up tight. He is pretty peeved about it, but I had to do it for his sake. Sure you did. If I can keep him there until tomorrow when this is over, maybe I can talk a little sense into him. Uh-huh. I just stand guard duty, is that it? Yeah, just keep him company, see if he gets some food. Or a drink if he wants it. Yeah. If he seems to have settled down, you can release his hands. And I'll get over there as soon as I can. All right, I'll take care of it, Paladin. He'll thank you for this as soon as he thinks it over. Well, I hope so. Well, I guess we're about ready to start. Yeah, I, I, I'll see you after, Paladin. Yeah, right, Todd, thanks. Who now? <laughs> Up and eight. Ten. Repair the mount. Repair the mount. Mount. Call him a four. Forward. How? I led my company along the parade route to the town square and to our assigned position at the left of the reviewing stand. The platform was loaded with brass. I counted a two-star general, three brigadier generals, and an assortment of colonels. We sat our horses at ease as the afternoon wore on with drills, speeches, local talent, then more drills, more speeches. I couldn't keep my mind off Billy Bedlow. Hey, Todd, yeah, what is it? Can you fall out? No, not very well. You got to. We get trouble? Yes, sir, Bob. Well, look, I'm pretty conspicuous here. Oh, ain't nobody going to see all that brass up there. has got them blinded. All right, I'll meet you behind the reviewing stand. Right. Get at him as soon as you can. And strike him as hard as you can. And keep moving on. Todd, what happened to your head? I got clobbered with the barrel of a peacemaker. You what? Your friend. Billy? Yeah. Him and me got real chummy. He was talking a lot of good horse sense. Well, it seemed like leastways. So, like you said, I untied his hands. We was having a game of cribbage. Then pretty soon he ain't talking horse sense at all. He ain't making any kind of sense. Now, you see, he's got this here pistol hidden under a pillar. Well, the next thing I know, I'm waking up and my head's hurting and he's gone. Bedlow's on the loose? Yeah, and let me tell you something, Paladin. That fella's crazier than a coot. He sure is, and he's dangerous. The men he's after are on the reviewing stand here. He must have headed this way. Well, how'd we ever find him in this crowd? I don't know, but come on. We'll stand guard by the corner of the platform. We're lucky it's almost over. They're getting ready to stand retreat. 
Yeah, they're rolling out the town cannon. Paladin Rook, the officer in charge of that cannon detail. That's Billy. Got himself rigged up in his uniform. Oh, no. He, he's ordering that cannon pointed this way, right toward the reviewer stand. Todd, the committee had that cannon all primed and ready to go, loaded with blanks. Now, do you realize that in the confusion around here today, Billy could very well have reloaded it with real cannonball? When they're getting ready to lower the flag, they'll be firing that dang thing pretty soon. I'm getting out of here. He is insane, Todd. You better join me. No, I gotta stop him. Billy. Major Bedlow, sir. Yes, Captain? May I speak to you in private, Major? I'm afraid your request is out of order, Captain. We're preparing the sound retreat. Prepare to fire. Don't fire that thing. Now, Paladin, don't interfere. Stop it, Billy. Stand back. Billy. I'm wearing sidearms, Paladin. You come one step closer, I'll shoot. You shoot me, Billy? Yes, you. Thank you. Tell you, Paladin, it was just like Gettysburg all over again, the way the shots were flying. They had to do it. They had to bring him down. He was just gone plumb loco. Poor Billy. Hey, you know, you was lucky. You only got that nick in your shoulder in close range like that. I know. I'm glad there weren't any other casualties. I never seen a man act like that, just firing wild. Like he was trying to exterminate the whole army with them guns of his. Well, his poor, sick mind had to find an enemy. <sighs> well, I reckon I better be riding off. Say, you leaving for San Francisco today? Yeah. Mm, I know you feel pretty bad about your friend Paladin. I'm, I'm not sorry about it. Thanks, Todd. Hey, isn't that a new horse you've got there? Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, it's real sad about that old horse of mine. Just went ornery mean, plumb bad. We had to... Well, you, you said it. You said even the best critter can go bad. Well, you are not saying much, Mr. Paladin. I'm tired, hey boy. You have long, hard trip on stagecoach? Yeah, that's partly it. Oh, it's good to be back in my own room again. Yes, sir. I unpack your suitcase and I let you get some sleep. Thanks, hey boy, but I'd rather get cleaned up and go down to the bar. It's too late in the afternoon to take a nap. Oh, good idea. Uh, you forget to be tired when you're with people in bar. Hey, my, the shoes are plenty fancy uniform. Uh, you want here, boy, to hang it in closet? No, you better pack it up in mothballs. Store it in the basement. Oh, oh, Mr. Paladin, I look like it's too late for mothballs. A suit already have big hole in sleeve. That's a bullet hole. Bullet hole? Oh, my, who shoot bullet in suit, Mr. Paladin? Friend of mine. Friend? He not much good a friend to do that. He wasn't really himself when he did it, hey boy. He had a lot of problems in his mind. But even so, I'll always remember him as a friend.
Have Gun, Will Travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Roth, is produced and directed in Hollywood by Frank Paris and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hey Boy and Virginia Gregg as Miss Wong. Tonight's story was specially written for Have Gun, Will Travel by Ann Dowd. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns, Barney Phillips, and Vic Perrin. This is Hugh Douglas inviting you to join us again next week when CBS Radio presents Have Gun, Will Travel. Nineteenth, 1960, that was Have Gun, Will Travel, and the name of that story was 2-2 Solid Town. I'm ready for a little comedy. How about you? Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> Well, on this week's Comedy Corner, we are going to go out to Beverly Hills and spend a little time with Jack Benny and the whole gang on The Jack Benny Show. This episode that we're about to listen to was first broadcast May the 1st, 1955. Again, always with Benny's show, there's two storylines. One has to do with Jack Benny's old love letters, and the other one has to do with uh, buying a baseball team. And some of the gags on this are are pretty good. I particularly, I love the operators, you know, the, the telephone operators. There's a bit with that in here. And also Mr. Kitzel, wonderful Mr. Kitzel. All right, everybody, here we go. Here's the Jack Benny Show from May 1st, 1955. The Jack Benny Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go back to yesterday. It's spring again. And as we take you out to Jack's home in Beverly Hills, we find Rochester up in the attic, busy with the spring cleaning. Well, I got all the magazines stacked up. Now I'll move this box over and... Hello, what's this? Hmm, I never saw these before. A bundle of Mr. Benny's old love letters. I wonder if I should... No, I'd be a heel if I read them. But nobody would know I'm a heel but me, and I ain't gonna tell anybody. I think I'll open this pink one first. 
Well, look at this. My darling Blossom Boy. <laughs> I've been thinking of you all day. I still thrill to the memory of how you said goodnight to me and crushed me in your powerful arms. Powerful arms. That can't be the boss. I know how excited you must be about having been elected captain of our school football team. But I can't get over your reluctance to talk about it. You're so modest. Modest? That can't be the boss. We sure had fun celebrating your election at the ice cream parlor. And wasn't it lucky I had my purse when you discovered you forgot your money? That's my boss. And another thing. Oh, Rochester, when you finish up here in the attic, I... Hey, what are you doing with those old letters? I'm putting them away. Rochester, have you been reading my old love letters? Oh, no, boss, not me. Well, then put them away and straighten up this pile of books in the corner. Okay, Blossom Boy. <laughs> oh, so you have been reading them. Just one of them, boss. The one that signed Eloise. Eloise. Oh, yes. Eloise Stanley. Rochester, you should have seen her. Long, golden curls, big brown eyes, rosy cheeks, dimples. And when she smiled, she was the silliest-looking dame you ever saw. <laughs> now, come on, let's finish straightening the attic. Put that, put that carton on top of the trunk. Yes, sir. Uh, how about putting the... Boss, what are you looking at? This old picture album. Most of them were taken when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Say, who's that man in this picture here? A relative? No, no, he was my first violin teacher. May he rest in peace. <laughs> and, oh, look, here's a picture of me taken when I was two years old. Look at me lying there in bed hugging that big teddy bear. Yeah. Doggone, it's almost as big as the one you sleep with now. <laughs> Not quite. And this is my sister, Florence. Who's that on the other page? Oh, that's my second violin teacher. May he rest in peace. <laughs> oh, look, here's a picture of my graduating class in grammar school. Gee, they sure are a nice-looking bunch of kids. Wait a minute, boss, I don't see you. Well, I took the picture. See, I had a little photography business on the side. <laughs> now, look, here's a picture of our house in Waukegan. Sure is a nice place. Who's the man standing out in front? Oh, he's my third violin teacher. Is he resting in peace? I don't know. He ran away and joined the Foreign Legion. <laughs> and Rochester, here's the picture of... Oh, that must be some of my gang. We're going to rehearse here today. You want me to come down and take notes? No, no, I think there'll be a lot of changes in the script, so I asked my secretary, Jeanette Iman, to come over. See you later. She's seeing all those pictures reminds me of the very first violin concert I gave before an audience of thousands of people. May they rest in peace. <laughs> what memories. Coming, coming. Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello, Mr. Benny. <laughs> what are you giggling about, kid? Well, this morning I went out in my yard and I caught a gopher. Well, why should I make you laugh? I got him in my shirt and he tickles. <laughs> Dennis, you got a gopher inside your shirt? No, I just said that for a joke. Why didn't you laugh? 
A joke? You got no sense of humor at all. Look. No wonder they put your program on Sunday when people are at church. <laughs> oh, close the door and come inside. Oh, am I on time for rehearsal? You're the first one here. I asked you to come a little early on purpose. I sent you your new contract, Dennis, last week. Have you signed it? Well, no, it hasn't come back from the doctor yet. The doctor? My mother knows how you like to hide clauses, so she's having it x-rayed. Oh, your mother. She's never satisfied with anything. Oh, you're wrong about that, Mr. Benny. She liked the present I gave her this morning for her birthday. Say, today is her birthday. Uh Uh-huh. Well, what did you receive on my mother's birthday, Mr. Benny? Dennis, why should I get presents on your mother's birthday? Oh, it's in our contract. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I don't know what to get you for Labor Day. You'll think of something. (laughs) Sing the song you're going to do on the show. Okay. must be around the corner when my little secretary comes to rehearsal in a bare midriff. Well, the weather's kind of warm, and this midriff dress is comfortable. Yeah, but it must be very inconvenient. What do you mean, inconvenient? No place to carry a gopher. (laughs) Dennis, stop. Now, Miss Simon, you know I'm not a very strict boss, and I don't care how you dress when you're not working. But I do think those bare midriffs are a little immodest. Immodest? But everybody out here wears them. Not my girlfriend, Gladys. She's too modest to wear them. Well, she's not modest. She just doesn't want to show her tattooing. Dennis. She has more pictures on her than Channel 2. 
be quiet. One little battleship and everybody makes a big thing out of it. Anyway, Miss Simon, I... Excuse me. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny. This is Mr. Hello, Mr. Kitzel. Hey, what can I do for you? Nothing at all. I just called up to tell you how much I enjoyed your radio program last week. Well, I'm glad you listened to it. I didn't listen. I was there at the show. Oh, that's nice. Where'd you get the tickets? What tickets? I was nonchalantly walking down the street when all of a sudden somebody threw a sack over me, gave me a bump on the head, and the next thing I knew, somebody is whispering in my ear, Welcome to CBS. That's the way we get them in. I see. And you know, when the program was over, I went back to see you, but you was already gone. By the way, Mr. Kitzel, I haven't seen you in a long time. Oh, this is because I now have a job as an extra in pictures. I already worked in six westerns. In western pictures? Yeah. They went that way. And smile when you say that, partner. <laughs> Say, you're pretty good. Oh, you should see me on a horse. Oh, <laughs> can you ride? The best. When I'm on a horse, I'm looking like Hopalong. Cassidy? Who, me? <laughs> I thought that... Oh, excuse me, Mr. Kitzel. I better hang up. There's someone at the door. You're excused. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, hi, Jack. I'm not late for rehearsal, am I? No, come on in, Don. I'm glad you brought the sportsman with you. Hi, fellas. Hmm. Say, come on in, everybody. Say, Don, how come you're dressed that way? Oh, I just came from the golf course, Jack. I played 18 holes this morning. I didn't know you played golf. Yeah, I just took up the game. I uh, take lessons twice a week now. Oh, that's not... How are you playing? Oh, pretty good. But I'm having a lot of trouble with my tee shots. Well, Don, hitting off the tee is one of the easiest shots in golf. You just remember one thing. Keep your eye on the ball. That's my trouble. I know it's down there, but I'm not sure where. (laughs) Well, with you, that could be a problem. What course did you play today? Oh, I was out at your club, Jack, Hillcrest. And I was doing all right until I came to that fourth green, you know, the one that's down in a gully. Wait a minute, Don. The fourth green isn't in a gully. It's on top of a hill. Not anymore. <laughs> Look, Don, if you... Come on, let's get this rehearsal over with. My gopher's getting hungry. <laughs> Dennis, you said it was a joke. Now leave it alone. I think we ought to get started. It's getting late, Jack. Jack? Miss Iman, you called me Jack. What do you want me to call you, Blue Eyes? <laughs> Not during business hours. That's for night. <laughs> Or drive-in movies. <laughs> now, come on. Let's all go... Let's all go in the den and rehearse. Huh? Boss, you can't rehearse. The scripts haven't arrived from the studio yet. That's funny. They always send them to my house so we can... Hey, that must be the scripts now. Come in. Hello, 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 everybody. Long time no see. <laughs> well, Steve. Hey, kids, this is my publicity man, Steve Bradley. Steve, what brings you around? What's up? Benny, I'm worried. You're slipping, Dad. We gotta do something about your publicity. 
Publicity? Well, that's your department. I know, and I've been working like crazy to get a good stunt to land you on the front pages. Benny, I want you to be as well-known as Smog. <laughs> smog? What's good about Smog? It's in the public eye. <laughs> Oh, Benny, I'm thinking every minute. No, bro. Look, Steve, can't you wait? Can't wait, can't wait. No time to lose. I thought this was so urgent that when I couldn't reach you by telephone, I sent a message by Carrier Pigeon. Carrier Pigeon? Well, that must have been the pigeon that landed on my windowsill. Yeah, yeah. Didn't you see the message tied to its ankle? Message? Rochester! Don't look at me! You ain't the legs! <laughs> I thought the paper on that leg was a pandy. Now, Benny, I've been giving this serious thought. We've got to come up with something for you, something unusual, some sort of a stunt. Now, wait a minute, Steve. Wait a minute. I don't want any more of your stunts. Wait a minute, Benny. Wait a minute. Hold it. What? Why didn't I think of this before? What an idea. All right, what is it? Baseball. Huh? Look, some years ago, Bob Hope bought himself the Cleveland Indians. Bing Crosby bought the Pittsburgh Pirates. And today, who is everybody talking about? George Goble. <laughs> What? And there you are. Oh, be quiet. Now, Steve, what are you getting at? Benny, you've got to have a baseball team. Well, look, Steve, I like the idea, but a baseball team is liable to run into a lot of money. Leave it to me, Benny. I'll find you a team that won't cost you much dough. Well, good, good. I'll get you a team that's unknown, but with a proper training in a year or two, you can sell them to somebody else and clear yourself a net profit of a million dollars. All right, Steve. <laughs> it sounds like a great idea. Go out and get me a baseball team. Leave it to me, Benny. So long, everybody. You know, kids, I think this baseball idea is going to work out great. It'll give me a lot of publicity. You're right, Jack. After all, baseball's the national sport. Everybody loves it. Don's right, Mr. Benny. You know, yesterday a bunch of my friends came over to my house and asked me to play baseball. Oh, did you play? Sure, but every time I hit the ball, I broke a window. What? I broke seven windows. Well, kid, maybe when you went outside, you played too close to the house. Oh, outside! <laughs> Look, Dennis, why can't you... Well, Jack, wa Jack, look, I haven't been home yet from the golf course, so let's get on with the rehearsal, will you? Don, we can't. The scripts aren't here yet. Oh, yeah. Well, why don't you call up CBS and see what's wrong? All right, I will. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. I know a way to save 80 cents. I'll drill a hole and I'll look through the fence. Dum-dee-dum-da-dee-dum. <laughs> Oh, Michael, what is it, Gertrude? Your outside line is flashing. You get it, will you? Okay. Columbia Broadcasting System. Oh, hello. What? Just a minute, I'll connect you. Mabel, it's Mr. Benny. I wonder what Blossom Boy wants now. <laughs> he wants me to connect him with the mimeograph department because they haven't delivered his scripts yet. Scripts? Well, how do you like that? And he palms himself off as an ad-lib comedian. Yeah. He couldn't ad-lib a click if he had false teeth. <laughs> 
ain't it the truth? I don't care if he can ad lib or not. I think he's cute. Now, why should you think he's cute? He's gone out with me more times than he has with you. He has not. He has to. Oh, Mabel, let's not argue. When we look like we do, we should be happy we got each other. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you, but I'm expecting Mr. Benny to pop the question any day now. Pop the question? Why, Mabel, how do you know what happened? What did he say? He didn't say anything. He just kissed me, and I felt so silly. Why? When he kisses me with those thick glasses on, I feel like I'm window shopping. (laughs) Yeah. I know just what you mean. You do? Yeah. One time when he was kissing me, I saw my reflection in his glasses, and I thought my mother was watching (laughs) us. Operator. Operator, I want the mimeograph department. What? Well, when you get them, tell them to send the scripts out to my house. Goodbye. There's nothing to do but wait, I guess. We won't be able to rehearse now. Hold everything, hold everything, Benny, I'm back. Steve. Yeah, Benny, you wanted a baseball team and Bradley didn't let you down. Hey, that's swell. Now, just sign this contract and the team is yours for $1,000. Good, good. There you are. Now, what's the name of the team? The BBBs. BBBs, what's that? Benny's Buxom Bloomer Girls. Bloomer girls? Certainly, Benny. I can see it now all over the sporting page. Pictures of Bob Hope and his Indians, Bing Crosby and his Pirates, Jack Benny and his Bloomers. <laughs> but, Steve, you can't do this Hold to me. Hold on, Benny. See out the field. Steve. Steve. How do you like that? A girl's team. I got a mind to... Oh, Mr. Benny. Mr. Benny. What? Your slip is showing. Oh, <laughs> Imagine a girl's baseball team. Jack will be back in just a moment, but first, another holiday weekend is drawing to a close, and here at CBS Radio, we'd like to remind you that according to an old adage, there's a certain one-way road paved with good intentions, and so is the road to the hospital. After all, it's hard to find anyone who deliberately sets out to have a highway accident. But they happen far too often. Many times, it's the driver's good intentions that can get him into trouble. If he assumes everyone else on the road is as careful and considerate as he, he may relax his caution. If he assumes that he can handle a car with the best, he may be overconfident and try to squeeze through just once too often. Traffic research shows that most of the people involved in accidents know all the rules of safe driving. Don't be so confident that you forget them. Tonight, as you drive homeward, remember that it's better to take it easy and play it safe. It's better to be Mr. Smith getting home late than the late Mr. Smith. Good night, everybody. show tonight was written by Milt Josephsberg, John Tackerberry, Hal Goldman, Al Gordon, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. From May 1st, 1955, that was the Jack Benny Show.
Just a couple program notes on this one. Um, did you notice that Jack said he would uh, drill a hole in the fence so he could watch the ball game and save 80 cents? Can you imagine a ticket to a ball game costing 80 cents? I assume that's probably what it was. I remember when I was a kid going into a movie. Now, I'm talking about a child's ticket was uh, 25 cents. And when they showed Walt Disney movies, they were 50 cents. Adult tickets, I think, were a buck and a quarter. And one time my mother took us to a movie for some reason. Normally, my parents did not go to, to movies. But for some reason, my mother took one once. And I remember when she got the ticket office, she goes, a dollar twenty-five. Oh, my word. And that just seemed like a lot of money. So I suppose a, a ticket to a ball game was not much more than 80 cents. Maybe that's what the bleachers were. Mr. Kitzel talked about being hijacked on the street to uh, go into the CBS studios there and listen to Jack's show being taped. I don't know if they were talking about the TV show or the radio show, but it's pretty common in Hollywood. Now, I don't know if that's still true. It, it probably is, but they tape an awful lot of shows out there, and, and we used to go to a lot of them, especially when I was a late teenager and you could go to the studios and ask for tickets, and you could get free tickets. The tickets were always free uh, to a number of shows. Now, the really popular shows, like The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, or uh, some of the uh, shows like The Bob Newhart Show or Mary Tyler Moore, those, you know, there was a big demand for those. And sometimes there was a wait list for the tickets. But other shows that were like game shows and uh, a number of, a number of others. I can remember one time we went and saw Woody Woodbury. He had a talk show. Do you remember Woody Woodbury? And literally, you're walking down Sunset Boulevard, and these guys are out in the street saying, hey, come here, come here. You want to see a TV show? And and they would literally say, hey, hey, we, we've got Woody Woodbury taping right now. Come on, come on in. And that's how they would get their audience, because these tickets were not in demand. And I can remember one time being in an audience where they had us all, uh, even though the, the studio was only about maybe half full, they had us all sitting together. So then when they would pan the audience, they would only show that section of the audience where people were sitting. They wouldn't show an auditorium with uh, a lot of empty seats in it. But that's very common. I imagine they're probably still doing that. Oh, one other thing. Jack referred to uh, a woman in here as a dame. And that used to be fairly common. And I can remember uh, in the 50s when I was a young youngster, my mother one time, I think I used the word dame. I said, hey, she's some dame. And boy, my <laughs> Robert, you do not ever use that in referring to women. That is not respectful. And, and it really wasn't. All right. More Jack Benny coming up in the weeks ahead. This time I'm walking to New Orleans I'm walking to New Orleans I'm gonna need to parachute When I get through walking the blues When I get back to New Orleans I've got my suitcase in my hand Here today, 
I'm going back home to stay. Yes, I'm walking to New Orleans. You used to be my honey. Till you spent all my money. No use for you to cry. I see you by and by. Into New Orleans. I've got no time for talking. I've got to keep on walking. New Orleans is my home. That's the reason why I'm gone. Yes, I'm walking to New Orleans. time you hear that music, you're just instantly transported back to the 1870s to Dodge City, Kansas, walking up Front Street with Marshal Matt Dillon, keeping the law. Along the way, we're going to run into Chester and Kitty and Doc and the whole gang on another episode of Gunsmoke. And the story that we're going to hear tonight was first broadcast back on January the 24th in 1953 over CBS. And the name of the story is Old Lady.
around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with the U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inside of Dodge anyway, Chester. There's Ellen Henry's homestead. Wonder how she'd take to serving up a breakfast, Mr. Dillon. I'm plumb hungry. Well, I'll settle for water and the horses. I don't imagine Ellen has any extra food. No, sir. It's gone pretty hard for her since Ethan died, hasn't it? That's the talk. Look at her place. Three lean-tos and not a green thing growing. I don't know how she makes out. Well, maybe Luther helps more than the folks give him credit for. For a son, he's not much good to my way of thinking. I don't know when he turns a hand for his mother between stops at the Texas Trail and the Long Branch. At least not much like his father was. Or Ellen either, for that matter. That's a mite early. Nobody's stirring. Oh, oh, oh. We better just water our horses and ride on, Chester. Yes, sir. Quiet-like, isn't it? Hey, where'd you come from, Mr. Dillon? Uh, from the house, I think. Luther? I don't know. You're trespassing. Get off my land. It's Marshal Dillon, Ellen. We just stopped to water our horses. I recognize you. Trespassing still goes, Marshal. You're awful quick to fire, Ellen. Ethan and me never took the folks arriving unannounced. I still don't take to it. Well, that's no cause to be firing on us that way, Miss Henry, especially since you recognized us. Quit whimpering. If I'd aimed to hit you, I'd have hit you. All right, Ellen. Get off my land and stay off. Just don't you get in any trouble with that rifle, Ellen. I expect you'll hear about it if I do, Marshal. Now get. I don't always aim high. Come on, Chester. How old would you say she is, Mr. Dillon? Oh, uh, she can't be over 40, I guess. If that. She looks like an old woman. 60 or more. She's dried up. Dead inside. Remember when Ethan and her and the boy came out here, Mr. Dillon, right after the war? She's an awful pretty little thing. Mm-hmm. Luther was a little more than a baby then. No, Mr. Dillon, I was just thinking. Ethan was so proud of his homestead and his boy and Ellen. Now he's five years dead, the boy's gone bad, and his wife and his homestead, they've just dried up. It's kind of sad, ain't it? Yeah, it is. 
Well, come on, Chester. Let's get on into Dodge. Marshal? Morning, Chester. Mitch. Oh, Mitch. Well, what'll it be? Uh, set up a bottle of rye, will you? Yes, sir, Marshal Dillon. <laughs> Look. There's Luther over there at the table. Alone. Yeah, I saw him. <clears throat> Thanks, Mitch. Wait here, Chester. Yes, sir. Uh, Mitch, could I have a little sugar? Mind if I don't get to my feet, Marshal? I got the feeling if I tried to stand up straight, I'd fall over first thing I knew. Sit still, Luther. I just don't have a lot of choice about it, Marshal. I was out by your place this morning, Luther. I hadn't seen your mother in a long time. Wish I could say the same. A woman shouldn't have to run a homestead alone. Not when her son's big enough to be a real help. Is this a lecture, Marshal? A do-good talk? Put your own name on it, Luther. I can't make you feel what you don't feel. But in a way, you're responsible for your mother. And what she does. I'm real lucky, Marshal. I can quit listening any time I don't want to hear something. Between the old lady and people like you, I quit listening an awful lot. Get it straight, Luther. I don't care what happens to you. I done something wrong? You accusing me of something unlawful, Marshal? No. But if you have any feeling left for your mother or what happens to her, you'll do something about her. Living out there alone so much, she's gone a little crazy. <laughs> 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 she shot at you. <laughs> Is that all concerning you, Marshal? Half the time I do go home, she levels off at me. I got a ride in under fire. Or crawl in on my belly. She's crazy, like you said. I swear, she's crazy. Then you ought to bring her into town. Get a keeper for her. Maybe I would. If I cared what happened to her, I don't care. I don't care at all. Well, that's up to you, Luther. Now, that's just another one of them things I didn't hear you say, Marshal. Uh, Luther's just plain drunk, isn't he, sir? That and just plain no good. Whatever you said drove him right out of here, Mr. Dillon. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't been in the office since early yesterday, Chester. All right, sir. Only... Only what? Well, sir, Mitch has got a catalog in the back room, and he's not busy, and he says it's just full of things you can order straight from St. Louis. I thought I'd... Well... Uh, you got extra money, have you, Chester? Oh, no, sir. Well, that is not really extra money, Mr. Dillon. It's just that, well, Mitch swears you can get underwear from this catalog that don't rub your skin raw. And 
I'd like to take a look at it. <laughs> All right, Chester, I'll wait. Yes, sir. Thank you. Oh, uh, Marshal. Uh, oh, hello, Cass. Now, what's on your mind? Talk I heard, Marshal. It's a private like maybe we'd go to your office. We can do our talking here. <laughs> I thought you was always of a mind to get me inside there, Marshal, where you could turn the key on me. Maybe I will someday, Cass. Now, come on, speak up. Yeah, I heard talk at Luther Henry Road cattle off Carnes' place last night. I saw you talking with him just now. I wondered if you'd heard the same. Haven't heard a thing, Cass. Odd you wouldn't know. I was out of Dodge last night, all night. Uh, I wonder if it's so. L Luther didn't give himself away when you talked just now. You're the one who's heard the talk, Cass. I got my rights. I can ask questions of you, Marshal. The man's heard ain't safe. He's got a right to know. Are you worried for Carnes or for you? If Carnes' cattle can be rode off, mine can. No. I didn't know you had much of a herd. What a man has is his own business, Marshal. I'm asking about Luther and the other rider. They say there was two. If Luther's wrong with the law, I'll get him. Is there anything else on your mind? Thanks, Mitch, for letting me see the book. Not a thing, Marshal. But I don't much like your attitude. I can't see that worrying me too much, Cass. All right, Chester, let's go. Yes, sir. Mr. Dillon, I was watching him from the back there. He's a sniveling sort, that cast. Mm-hmm. Come to think of it, though, I don't know a single bad thing he's done. Know any good he's done? No, sir. Can't say that he do, Mr. Dillon. Well, how about you? Did you find out about your fancy underwear? Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> All right, now we can tend to business, huh? Come on. Hello, Marshal. I was waiting for you. Oh, good morning, Mr. Carnes. Howdy, Chester. Well, how do, Mr. Carnes? You got the key, Chester. Yes, sir. Well, I don't see you in town much, Mr. Carnes. Only when I got business, Marshal. Yeah. Well, come on in, won't you? My, it's close in here. <laughs> We've been away a day and a night, Mr. Carnes. Sure gets close that way. I'll just open up the back. Won't you have a chair, Mr. Carnes? I don't have a long piece to say, Marshal. It don't take long to say some of my cattle were stolen last night. Yeah, I heard. So soon? Yeah, Cass Stetter told me about it a few minutes ago. Hmm. Well, I don't know how Cass come by the information, but it's true. This is the second time it's happened in the last few weeks. You don't keep much cattle, do you? Hardly any. I suppose a hundred heads is the most I ever had at one time. Mm-hmm. But last night I lost five or six... About the same time before. Cass was of the mind that uh, Luther Henry did it. I don't know, Marshal. One of my hands said Luther was out of my place the other day just looking around. I got no real reason to suspect him. Only thing I know is that whoever it was rides a horse that shot all the way around. You don't see a lot of that on the prairie. No, you don't. You think there was just one rider, Mr. Carnes? There was two from the tracks, but the boys and me lost them in the rain. 
I thought I'd tell you about it, Marshal. I can't afford to lose a little I got. No, I'll do what I can, Mr. Kirk. I... I kind of hope it isn't Luther. Not for him so much as Ellen. She's had enough trouble. Yeah. Well, Chester and I'll ride out to the Henry place and look around, Mr. Carnes. If uh, Luther's guilty, maybe some of Ellen's troubles will be over. Or maybe they'll just be beginning... I swear, Mr. Dillon, I feel like I was riding right into the camp of the enemy, coming back to Ellen this way. <laughs> you think we should be flying a white flag as we ride up, Chester? Well, I'd feel a little safer to tell the honest truth. Uh, she's got no reason to fire on us. <laughs> but I'll agree, that's pretty small comfort. No. Look yonder, Mr. Dillon. I think I saw her peering out. It's all right, Chester. Come on. <laughs> see Luther's horse around. Maybe he isn't here. Well? Afternoon, Ellen. I uh, want to talk a bit about uh, Luther. I got work to do in the shed. I was going there. You want to talk? Let me help, Ellen. I'll get it. Uh, he's got a loose shoe. I aim to fix it. Well, we could be a hand, Ellen. If, yes, uh... I'm proud, too. I aim to fix it myself. All right. He wouldn't have shoes if I waited for a man to shoe him. There he is. Easy. Easy, Dal. Easy. Oh. You come to talk, Marshal. Yeah, about Luther. Huh. Two nails clean out. No wonder it's loose. Carnes lost some cattle last night. Two riders got off with five or six head. One of Carnes' hands thinks Luther was one of them. Is he around, Ellen? I told you before. He comes and goes, Luther does. Well, have you seen him since we were here this morning? Don't recall that I have, Marshal. I got other things to occupy my thought. Like trying to get together enough money to go back to my people. What to do with those names? Here they are, ma'am. Oh. I'd admire to help you, Miss Henry. I'll do it. That's a fine horse, Ellen, a real fine horse. Shot all the way around. Come on, boy. Was Ethan's way. This your horse or uh, Luther's? Mine. Yeah. What? Well, that was Luther, Mister Dillon, and he took your horse. Yeah. Will I make a run after him, sir? Not when he's wild, Chester. I don't want you shot or him either. I just want to talk to him. Allie just comes and goes, huh, Ellen? 
Believe what you want, Marshal. I didn't know he was around. Like I said, I never know. Quit caring. Don't worry, Marshal. Luther will get his. He's had it coming to him for a long time. Well, I guess we ride back double, Chester. Yes, sir, we sure do. Luther sure cut out quick, Mr. Dillon. Maybe he did run those cattle off Carn's place last night. Maybe. He's running away from something. Wonder where he'll hide. Everybody around here knows your horse. Oh, he's made a lot of mistakes. He'll make more. Nothing says he's going to turn bright all of a sudden. You're not worried about your horse then, Mr. Dillon? I don't think so, Chester. What kind of a woman is that, Mr. Dillon? Ellen? Yes, sir. I don't know. I'm not much of a hand to understand women, Chester, any woman. I don't know. You think she knew Luther was home all along? Maybe. I just don't understand it, Mr. Dillon. It's not right somehow, a woman not caring about her own son. You hear her? She said right out, I quit caring. It just don't seem right. Still might close in here. I believe I'll leave them back windows up a spell, Mr. Dillon. I think I'll go up to Emil's blacksmith shop, Chester, and see if he has a horse to spare. All right, sir. Uh, there's some paperwork to catch up on if you get the time. Yes, sir. Of course, you'll want to write that place in Chicago about your underwear, the first thing. <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> I'll be back, Chester. Well, I may not need that horse after all. How's that, Mr. Dillon? Ellen Henry's riding up the street, leading my horse. Well, bless my soul, it sure is. There's something thrown across her saddle. Mr. Dillon, it looks like... Wait here, Chester. I brought your horse back, Marshal. He's been run hard. He looks all right. You, uh... You found Luther, did you? He's dead. You found him dead? He had it coming a long time. Here, I'll lift him down. Chester! Easy. Easy, Daryl. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon? Uh, Chester, take the body up to docks, will you? Yes, sir. Miss Henry, I, I'm real sorry. I'll be going now, Marshal. Well, I'll take my horse then, Ellen. You, uh, you got any plans for burying Luther? 
Put them in any ground you like, only don't tell me where it is or when you do it. You know how he died, Ellen? He was shot. Look, it's near dark, Ellen. You could put up in town for the night if uh, you'd... Don't put him near Ethan, Marshal. I wouldn't want that. Come on! Doc's working on Luther now, Mr. Dillon. He's just plumb full of holes. Yeah, I know. Poor Miss Henry. Even though she don't act like it, I just know she feels terrible. Yeah, she's grieving her heart on. Where are you going, Mr. Dillon? I don't think I express my sympathy to poor Miss Henry. Proper. I followed Ellen Henry West toward her homestead. The sun was down now, but I could see her ahead riding hard. There were clouds to the south and the smell of rain on the easy wind that blew in little circles around me. Ellen bore west and I lost her past a clump of cottonwoods near Carnes' place, so I rode harder. When I came even with the trees, there was just enough sun ray left to see her head south toward the dark clouds. She wasn't going home. dark now. I couldn't see anything. The storm clouds stretched black from the south and fastened over half the sky. I rode hard against them till I saw the flicker of lantern shine ahead. It was Cass Stetter's place. I left my horse out away from the house and walked in as softly as I could. Cass and Ellen were having their talk in a cattle shed near the You've house. You've trusted me before about the money, Ellen. What's the rush this time? My work's done, Cass. It was done last night when Luther and me drove them last few from Carnes' place over here. I want my share and Luther's. Him not cold dead yet, you want a share. Ain't a mother entitled to whatever her son leaves? Mother? You never had no mother feel for him and him no love for you either. Huh. Ain't you the one to talk about love, though. It takes courage to love. To love with all of you. When the love goes, they take it and bury it in the ground. There's nothing left but hate. I wouldn't kill my own kin. You wouldn't be that honest. You won't even steal cattle yourself. You'll buy it off of them as has the courage to ride in and rustle it. Yeah, well, how'd it feel, killing your own, Ellen? Like it'll feel killing you, Cass. If you don't give me the money here and now, like nothing at all. Luther's dead and gone because he tipped his hand, showed his face around Karn's place, talked big in the saloons. He was no use. No use at all. There's no woman in you at all. I've been dead five years. And your time's running short, too, Cass. I'm in a hurry. Too late to hurry, Ellen. What the... Too late to move for gun, so. Well, I'm sure glad to see you, Marshal. How are you, Cass? Oh, I sure am. 
Hey, I guess I called a trick on Luther, all right, didn't I? Yeah, you were a big help. You and Luther stole the cattle all and then brought them to Cass for pay, is that it? Only sometimes, like now, we didn't get paid. Don't believe her, Marshal. You wouldn't take the word of one as murders your own son, would you? I don't have to, Cass. Carnes brand won't be hard to find on any cattle you got here. Cass was just slow to move him on, Marshal. If he'd have gone on toward Abilene with him last night like we planned... You're lying, Helen Henry, you're lying! Now get your horses. Both of you. Wait. Well, why are you taking me, Marshal? Well, there's some kind of a law, Cass, about buying and transporting stolen cattle. Yeah, Marshal knows his law, Cass. You, you know what she did to Luther, don't you, Marshal? Yeah, I know. Now, come on. You'd like it better, wouldn't you, Marshal? If one of us made a move so you could use your gun. I said, come on, Ellen. I think I'd like it better if you used your gun, Marshal. I ain't going to get back east now anyway. You'd be taking a coward's way out, Ellen, if you made me kill you. Ah. <coughs> I said, get your horse, Cass. <laughs> now make your choice, Ellen. But I don't think Ethan would think much of you. All right, Marshal. I'll go. But mind what I said. Don't put Luther near Ethan. They wasn't the same kind. Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Kathleen Height, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, Sam Edwards, John Daner, Harry Bartell, and Herb Vigran. Parley Bear is Chester. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. This coming Monday evening, hear Richard Widmark as one of the desperate Spencer brothers riding against time and death in a suspense drama well calculated to keep your interest high. Also Monday night, you'll want to hear CBS Radio's Lux Radio Theater starring Joan Fontaine and Joseph Cotton in the strange drama September Affair. Remember, both this Monday night on most of these same CBS Radio stations. Suspense and Lux Radio Theater. This is Roy Rowan speaking. America now listens to 105 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS Radio Network.
all the way back to January 24th, 1953, for that episode of Gunsmoke entitled Old Lady. More Gunsmoke coming up next time. Well, there's the old dinner triangle. Looks like Mom's calling us for dinner, so I guess it's time to pick up all of our shows and take them back into the vault. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. Do not despair, though. We will we will be back in two weeks, and we'll do it all over again with a whole new slate of shows. Chester has promised me he will be back next time, that his personal business will all be taken care of, and he will be back with us running the control board. All right, everybody, that's going to do it. This is Bob Bro. I am so glad that you stopped by, and I'm so glad that you met me. Bye-bye. <laughs>